Hello and welcome to What's Your Story? Threads of Human Experience, the podcast that weaves meaningful memories, unexpected lessons, and unforgettable encounters. I'm your host, Sid Clausen Rosewarn, and in this episode, lace up your running shoes because we're going ultra running. In the last 30 years, worldwide we've produced more than half of all the CO2 ever emitted, a problem that most of us contribute to daily. Because carbon dioxide traps heat, our combined emissions cause global warming, which in turn melts long-standing glaciers, and leads to rising sea levels, floods, pollution, and other catastrophic weather events. With thousands of glacial lakes to contend with, Bhutan, which is a remote kingdom nestled between China and India, is one of the countries most affected by the impacts of climate change. It's these changes that led the King of Bhutan to create the inaugural snowman race. Nikki Wren is a Calgary-based ultra runner, at least during Canada's warm seasons. With her dual citizenship in Australia and Canada, she typically spends the winter months in Australia, but she runs in races around the world. For her, the snowman race would be unlike any adventure she's ever experienced. Her journey begins in Colorado. When you live for adventure, staying in one place, even when you might like that place, can seem like a prison. At least that's what the pandemic felt like for Nikki Wren. Nikki is an experienced ultra runner. She's been running in races around the world for about two decades but she doesn't actually define herself as a runner. Instead, she says she's an adventurer and a teacher. Her teaching expertise spans almost every area of education you can think of. From teaching kindergarten to grade 12 in Canada, Australia, and West Africa, to designing or reworking curriculums for post-secondary schools. Nikki has a wide range of knowledge rooted in her passion for teaching. When borders opened in the spring of 2022 and airlines returned somewhat to their regular flight schedules, Nikki's adventurous mind started turning. The first place she went was Colorado in July, but this wasn't your average summer vacation. Nikki and her friend Claire Perks, who's the same friend you'll hear Nikki talking about, registered for the Never Summer 24-hour ultramarathon, a 100-kilometer race that starts in Gold, Colorado and runs through high alpine trails. And this was only the start of appeasing her wanderlust. Her next stop, the exclusive and experimental snowman race in Bhutan. The night before the 100K, my own 100K race that I uh, got the invitation to go to, to Bhutan and do the snowman race. So that was, um, it was like serendipitous because like I was probably one of the fittest I'd been in a long time. I just spent two weeks training altitude and now I just got invited to go to a really high altitude race in the Himalayas. An unbelievable opportunity. Nikki says this would be one of the greatest adventures of her life. Bhutan is one of the few countries in the world that's carbon negative, meaning it gives back more to the environment than it takes. But it has 17 glaciated lakes that are at risk of flooding because of global warming. If they flood, more than 20,000 people would die. Already in this remote area, floods have come through and wiped out the entire valley, killing thousands of people 
and many more are at risk of future disasters. To highlight climate action as a key focal point for the nation, Bhutan's former Prime Minister, Tsering Tabgai, affirmed Bhutan's commitment to environmental preservation in his 2016 TED Talk. My country and my people have done nothing to contribute to global warming. But we are already bearing the brunt of its consequences. And for a small, poor country, one that is landlocked and mountainous, it is very difficult. But we are not going to sit on our hands doing nothing. We will fight climate change. That's why we have promised to remain carbon neutral. Bhutan's at-risk, elevated, remote terrain is exactly where the snowman race would happen. For Nikki, running in the October 2022 snowman race was about seeing Bhutan's beautiful, remote landscapes before they're destroyed by climate change. You know, normally when I, I pick races, I'm, I'm picking things that um, I, in places I want to go see, challenges that I want to achieve. But this race was really different because it was not so much about me and what I wanted to achieve. And so it was really about this bigger story and this bigger mission for the country of Bhutan. It was pouring rain the morning of the race, as it had been for months in Bhutan. It was the end of a monsoon in the Himalayas, causing flooding in Pakistan and surrounding areas. There was a lot of uncertainty around weather and around um, what that would mean if things went wrong and if we needed to get rescued. Um, you know, we knew that they couldn't get helicopters or any kind of rescue in there if the weather was bad. So, yeah, I think that was my biggest concern. As the event motto, the ultimate race for climate action, the athletes would follow the famous snowman trek, which fewer people have completed than Everest. Audacious and near impossible would be another way to describe it, as the route would be 203 kilometers, or 126 miles, over a five-day period, and no one had ever done this distance at this high of an altitude ever before. Each runner would have to sustain themselves throughout the race meaning they would be carrying about 25-pound packs and camping along the trail. And fewer than 30 runners would compete. Nine runners were native Bhutanese athletes, and the other 15 were experienced international runners, all carefully selected by the king of Bhutan. Yeah, as soon as we sort of started going up the mountains, um, up into the mountains, I could, and the skies were parting, and the mist was clearing, you could see like little glimpses of the, the white pointy peaks of the Himalayas. It was just so thrilling to see that. And then knowing that by the end of that day, we were gonna be right up in there. I don't know how many times I said to my friend who I was with, like, uh, is, this, is this real? It, we kept thinking it was CGI, that we were in some sci-fi movie, um, you know, with, with beautiful beauty I couldn't even imagine, except maybe on a screen I'd seen <laughs> when it's invented. Even though the landscape was stunning, there was nothing beautiful about the risks of running at such high altitudes. On day one, they gained more than 6,000 feet in elevation, going up to 16,000 feet above sea level, breaking every mountaineering rule about acclimatizing. For Nikki's running teammate, Claire, she felt the effects right from the get-go. Claire lives in Okotoks and like Nikki, gets out to the mountains any chance she gets. I think that first day really put a lot of people on their ass, or put everybody on their ass, like everybody was suffering to different degrees. And so when you've just done, you know, 50 some K with a 
25-pound pack and you can't eat any food to replenish what you burn that day, like you're not going to last very long. And so you had to try to judge, like, do the symptoms I have right now, can I, can I, can I keep going with this? The question isn't if you got altitude sickness at these elevation levels. It's when and how bad it would be. I had this sort of confidence that I could get through it, but at the same time there was uh, all these unknown factors that completely out of your control. Altitude sickness, also known as pulmonary edema, is when fluid builds up in the lungs because there's not enough pressure in the air as you gain altitude. But what can happen is the fluid can build up in your brain, and this is when it becomes deadly. We were going to go up 2,700 meters more than where we'd slept the night before, which is a little terrifying. Physiologically, the body doesn't like that at all. On the first night of the race, runners slept at about 5,000 meters above sea level, which is about 15,000 feet. For context, Calgary sits around 1,000 meters above sea level, and Edmonton sits about 650 meters above sea level. So I just felt really tired the first night, and but I do realize that I didn't eat anything that night. Like, And when I say anything, I think I had one Triscuit cracker, and I had one bite of itchy band soup. You're sort of uh, accumulating these difficulties in the body as you're like trying to recover and then you're not able to sleep and your body's also dealing with lack of oxygen. It was on day three that the elevation really started to take its toll on Claire. As I was walking, all my peripheral vision went black. So I could literally, it looked like I was looking down a tube. I could just see what was right in front of me, but couldn't see anything of the side. Unfortunately, we had made a very difficult decision early on day three that we had to um, call for a rescue. And yeah, that was super tough for me because I, I walked away leaving my friend in the Himalayas and not having a clue what would happen to her from then on. But yeah, that was emotionally tough to watch her journey come to an end. They cried together for at least 10 minutes before Nikki had to say goodbye to Claire and start running on her own. She was at the back of the racing pack and they had already lost 10 international athletes to altitude sickness by this point. Nikki says having to part ways with Claire on day three of the snowman race and having to continue the race on her own is the most alone she's ever been in her life. As I looked up this valley, a very remote valley, I didn't see anybody or anything. And although ultra running is an individual sport, when the stakes of life or death are this high, the group was always looking out for each other. I actually ended up meeting up with the, the next two athletes who were actually in a, a quite bad shape and that we were the three of us were then able to finish that day off together as it got dark. While it was her toughest, most terrifying day of the race, it's also the day she's most proud of. And Nikki says at some point, her tears over losing Claire turned to tears of gratitude for the beauty in front of her. And meeting the people who live in this remote landscape, the reason this race existed in the first place, helped Nikki persevere through the long, rough trails. And there was a, an old man standing in the middle of a yak field <laughs> and there was no one else around him. And he had a tray of apples and that he'd even peeled and cut into pieces so he could easily eat them. It was delicious and it was just such a kind gesture for him. So the finish was incredible, um, but it did not come easy. Only about half of the group achieved the finish line, um, which is... Uh, 
incredible because this group of athletes were super pro and super elite. So I think everyone was really surprised about um, how tough it was for everyone. So we were 17 that finished. Nikki was the last runner to finish the race and only one of two international female finishers. But the Bhutanese people made her feel like she had won the whole thing. It was an unrealistic and unreal moment, which I just thought, you know, Nikki, soak it up. It'll never happen again. When she came into the stadium, there were anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 people waiting for her, including all the other athletes, even the ones who had been evacuated during the race. Uh, there was a party, they had a band, and we danced, and I hadn't had a shower for five days. I was exhausted, but I just completely forgot all that and uh, partied all afternoon. It was, it was pretty awesome. Back home in Alberta, about four months after the race, Nikki and Claire spoke at Kenmore Brewing Company about their once-in-a-lifetime race experience. 40 to 50 outdoorsy types made it out for the event, all in some form of athletic or technical gear toques, hats, and wearing either hiking shoes, runners, or burks. The small crowd filling the wood tables among the fermenting tanks, low-hanging lights, and cement floors. And almost everyone with a beer in hand. Nikki shared about what it was like to sit down with the king after the race, and hearing about the love he has for the people of Bhutan. Um, he has, he's known to have a very special love of the rural highlanders in his country, and one of the other things he said to me was, this was a bit of a love letter to the people of the mountains. And he said, I want them to know that I'm listening to their, their fears and concerns about what's happening, so much so that I just brought 20 international athletes to, to run through your area. So Her newfound love of Bhutan, with its stunning landscapes, culture, and people, has called Nikki back this time in her role as an educator. Only five months after the race, she's traveling back as a visiting faculty and education manager with a broad scope of work, teaching university students, doing program evaluation and teacher training, and even change management. For their post-secondary options, the King wants Bhutanese students to seek education right in Bhutan rather than studying abroad. And for grade schools, he wants to shift from the test-taking approach to education to creating students who can problem solve and contribute to the local community. It's a huge undertaking, but Nikki's no stranger to a challenge, and she's well-versed in knowing how to get it done. One of the things that um, I learn about ultra running that I take into my real life is a, the importance of breaking up big challenges. And in many of the races I've done, you can't see the whole picture and expect to, you know, feel okay about it because these adventures are so big and seemingly impossible from the outset. But yet if you just break it up into little pieces and just, you know, manage the next hour or the next 10 kilometers or the next few sections, um, and then you just piece all those together and before you know it, um, you start to put together this journey. And when you think of it that way, you can just keep going with whatever the challenge is ahead of you. You've been listening to What's Your Story? Threads of Human Experience. I'm Sig Clausen Rosewarn, and special thanks to Nikki Wren for trusting me to share her story. This series was produced in Mokinstis, also known as Calgary, the ancestral lands of the Nitsitipi, Iahe Nakoda, Sitana, and Metis peoples. This series is a part of the Community Podcast Initiative, based out of Mount Royal University. 
where we are grateful for the opportunity to create, learn, and grow. As our stories intersect, we see the value and importance in learning about the people and places where our lives unravel and recognizing our responsibility to decolonize our media practice. What's Your Story? Threads of Human Experience is powered by Shaw. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you can pull more threads and discover more stories. Thank you.